I would be, um, I would, I would, I think I might have problems with cash flow. So I, I know that we're not going to be in that situation based on our projections, but I didn't want to accrue a bunch of money and I have nothing in my hand to support it. Got it. Okay. So we're assuming all business are FQHC qualified and we are working on our re reconciliation. For our um, staff and physician experience, we put in the full year impact of additional um, EBMG PSA at the maximum of 84.7 million. This allows for salary increases and FTE growth. Um, this is $12 million above our projected PSA run rate for FY22. We also built an additional $3.7 million of increases um, that's effective for January 2023. So the current um, one was from January to December 2022, the current rates, and then we built in additional salary increases for next fiscal year. Our physician recruiting efforts are underway uh, to prevent physician burnout. We've engaged um, external recruitment, and we're also looking at expanding our internal resources to support the efforts for recruiting. Our advanced practice providers were adjusted for full year salary increases by transferring them from EBMG to AHS. And then we've also increased contracted physicians to the market rate. Our wage adjustments for the union and non-representatives is approximately 3.5%. We are anticipating that we're hiring poor staffing and reducing registry by 40% uh, savings of $11 million. We're continuing our existing benefit package. We've reinstated employee recognition to celebrate some milestones like hospital week, nurses week, physician week. And we've also um, included outside training for our, uh, for our FTEs. Um, we've reduced overtime by $2.6 million, reducing the percent from 3.8% run rate to 2.7%. And we've included a nurse training program for career and advancement opportunities. Question, uh, Grace, the, the, the first bullet point on that page, do we have any uh, of our larger union negotiations scheduled for fiscal 2023? I think it's SEIU or no? No, we've settled our agreements. I don't know if anyone else knows more, but my understanding is we've we settled all the open agreements and we these this amount is consistent with the MOUs. Okay, so we know what that's gonna be for budgeting purposes because we're in contract through the, the next fiscal year. That is my understanding. And oh, wait, Lauren, you know, uh, I was just going to comment that we do have SCIU UHW bargaining happening in our community hospital and our subacute um, at the end of the year. So those are not big units, so. Yeah, okay. will it be the end of fiscal year 23, or do you mean starting in a month or two? No, in November of this year, November 2022. So halfway through the fiscal year. Okay, my question was just because of the of the way, where inflation has been, um, we feel confident that 3.5% is gonna be enough. And I would say if we don't have one of our major unions coming up next year, that we're probably okay. As you remember, I believe it was settled last year around April. 
for the big unions, the CNA and the SEIU. Okay, okay. Thank you. So this is our cost of labor trend. And as you can see, Gatsby plays a big part of this. So we did a total labor um, without Gatsby for FTE. And you can see the difference in 19, you know, because of Gatsby, it over, you know, it increased our expenses. And then in 2022, you can see it's $22.8 million in uh, projection for 2022. And you can see that it under, with Gatsby, it under, um, understated our cost for FTE. And could you just please define, you know, explain what Gatsby is? So I, I, I hope I get this right. Gatsby is like a paper transaction that evaluates the investments we have um, and how much our retirement is worth. So, so it's our pension investments, right? Yeah, so this is what we're gonna ask you all to allow us to, to amend our budget to what the actuarial report is. We'll get it in June. And that actuarial report tells us what this non-cash expense is that we need to um, include in our financials and we want to match the budget. So what Grace has done here is shown you before the actuarial non-cash item and then after um, because, the, uh, because it, it skews quite a bit our comp ratio and our cost per FTE. So you can see in 19, the, when we accrue for that actuarial additional expense, our labor cost, cost goes to 180 from 165 per FTE. And then if you look in our current projected year, um, without it, our salaries are 184.3, and then they actually go down to 179 if you include the credit because they're actually reducing our long-term liability through the income statement, right? So um, she wanted to show both so that we, so you guys could understand the difference. And this is why we really want, we don't want to guess what the actuary is going to do and just wait for that report that should be here in a few weeks and just go ahead and adjust the budget to equal what that actuarial report says our, our expense or our credit will be depending upon the market uh, which was as of December 31st last year, measurement date. Okay, thank you. This is our registry trend and you can see our registry, we are budgeting a decrease of registry from 265 to 129, that's approximately 50%. Um, the registry cost has been decreased because in FY22, in FY21, we had the, the strike. In FY22, we have the premium pays due to shortage. So we were paying crisis rates in FY22. And in FY23, we're um, budgeting as if we're not having those crisis rates. And we're also going to hire our own, which would reduce this utilization. Grace, can you tell me how you... Uh... Uh, came to project the, that we won't be paying the crisis rates and how you normalize that number for your project yes. for, for the purpose of the projection. And so we, you know, we're putting together our nursing program. So we are hoping to um, get our own to be able to um, to hire. Our, we have a new grad program and we have existing um, nurses that would be that would go up into a more acute setting like the ICU. 
So okay. with those as funnels, we will be able to get our registry down. Our, our rate, uh, is, the, is the market trend that the rates are actually coming down as well? They are not right now. Okay. My thought is that if, if you know COVID calms down, that the demand for registry won't be there. And so what we've done for the budget, and this was based on what the budget oversight committee decided to do, is to just assume the registry rate is the same as our internal staff. And I think Grace is gonna show you a slide in a minute that says it used to be that registry was cheaper. So, yeah. it, so you'll see that in a minute. So the savings here, uh, again, uh, apologies, I'm, I'm translating into my stupidity here, is 60, this, this almost greater than 50% drop is based on an operational projection of hiring from within. Yes. rather than using is that is that accurate uh, yes yeah. so we have two things uh, utilization of registry will drop because of our new programs and okay. as well as the rate that we will not be paying the premium crisis rates um, when the COVID had calmed down yes ma'am thank you so I would just comment that this to me I think is an aggressive goal um, not to say that it's a bad goal, but I think if you have a space, a place where you're, you know, maybe have some offsetting cushions, some it's of that might, might be needed in case we don't make this one. Yeah, it's $11 million. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is aggressive, I agree. Um, show the next slide so people can kind of see that where our rates used to be and where we're projecting it to be. So, you know, we're basically, bringing the rates back to 21 level. So um, I don't know if that makes anybody feel better, but that's the nursing side. And then I think on the all other, we did go ahead and increase it to match there. So there's a little probably cushion in the other, but we probably are being a little more aggressive on the nursing. But this slide I think is a better picture of you know what happened with COVID and how the nursing rate just, you know, went up to $430,000 and we're budgeting back at, you know, just what, 270. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing to me to see that kind of spike. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the whole gestalt flipped between in the relationship between staff, nurses, and registry. So hopefully it'll come back to the way things should be. I hope so too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, I just, I don't know how it could be sustainable, but I, I know that this is probably driving why it's so hard to recruit because people can go out and, you know, take a travel job at, you know, such a high rate, you know, it makes it really difficult for, for us to recruit. But that will change if the demand's not there, right? Well, I think we, I think our overtime reduction goal is maybe a little bit aggressive as well. So probably not quite as many dollars involved, but right. still aggressive. So we have an overall uh, projection of volume increasing by 2%. Our clinic visits uh, will be increasing by 5%. And we are going to continue getting reimbursement for telehealth post COVID. Um, and public health emergency. 
We have a volunteer program that increases outreach and um, sign up of patients through My Alameda Health. We put in $3 million in IT infrastructure to ensure security and licensing compliance. Um, we're estimating a foundation contribution of $1.2 million in operations and $2.4 million in capital. And we've increased um, our social workers to staff the FQHC wellness programs to improve mental health access in the primary care. So that's our new program that we have put in. We also have put in um, substance abuse of the bridge clinic um, to better position to serve our ambulatory care patients. Um, it is a need that we needed to do and it actually has a, um, a grant related to it that we can access. We reinstated our, reinstated our GME dental program, which would give more access to our medical and um, indigent patients for, dentist, um, for dentistry. We've increased our community outreach worker for palliative care to expand the program beyond Highlands and include all sites. And um, we've created a community with focus, great uh, access for the community with focus recruitment for physicians in both primary and specialty care. So here are the material changes in FTEs. This is not all the changes in FTEs. There is room for growth. We've increased in anesthesiology um, for expansion coverage. Um, and also we've increased EVMG by $15.7 million and outside contracted, by, outside contracted positions by $2 million. So we've made a lot of investments for physician access. Grace, is this a comprehensive one? Because I, I have a feel that it's probably more than these services. No, this is just the material changes right now that we've built into the budget. But there, oh, got it. Okay. There's other um, contracts. I mean, there's other physicians that we're recruiting that is not part of the FTE, but we do have dollars uh, appropriated for it. Okay, so got it. To them, like, I think there's a PMSR physician that we're recruiting currently. That's in the, um, you know, we're going to finalize that pretty soon. And um, we have dollars for it, but it's not included in the FTE. But we do yes. have so, so one of our uh, guiding principles with this budget is that if we didn't have a human being identified, we didn't build them into the budget. So um, we do have some money in the sense that we budgeted the max contract about amount for East Bay Medical Group, and we're not at the max today in our run rate. We're just now truing up all the salary increases. So I don't actually have a number that I can give you that is more than those increases, but we know there is some dollars there, but that is not gonna prevent us from recruiting. We know we need to recruit. We have, if we can uh, grow our primary and specialty that grows volume, that grows revenue. And so we didn't wanna just artificially come up with a number and skew the budget. So what we'll do is we'll do what we call bridge plans during the year. And so if we are lucky enough to land some physicians, we will bring them on board and we will do bridge plans. We may even have to come back to you all for you know, amendments to East Bay Medical Group if they turn out to be employees of East Bay Medical Group. But um, we, there's a focused effort now on recruiting and this budget should not in any way, and this, this number here, 9.6, should not have any impact or negative impact on that focused budget recruitment plan. 
Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So we've, we've got about 23 or 24% of our, our physician FTEs as contractors, both this year and next year. Uh, is our long-term plan to get that proportion of contracted FTEs lower? I think right now we've just been struggling to get coverage. So we've had to do what we had to do. So, but I think everybody would like to have, you know, employed core physicians. It may not be a hundred percent employed, but I think our goal is to have our own team, right? Mm -hmm. So the answer is yes, I think you're saying, but it's a, it's a long-term Yeah, it's proposition. not a short term. So for quality care, we've included a care optimization initiative, a savings of $16.5 million. This will allow us to um, put the patients in the appropriate level of care and reduce length of stay and improve quality and patient experience. We've invested $500,000 um, addition for um, non-sniff bed to help with the overall throughput and implement the care optimization initiative. We've um, right size our workforce. There was increased break relief in the acute rehab and uh, the John George um, is aligned with the MOU. We had some um, staffing coverage, uh, staffing, staffing gaps. Um, so we're right sizing it at this point. We also have a biomed refresh uh, project underway. I think you've heard that in our past um, uh, meetings and we have a position for a new biomed director to oversee the process. We're investing $700,000 in operations and $2.8 million in capital for biomed refresh. We're also increasing our clinical educators to ensure that our staff is up to date and in current standards. We're centralizing our staffing, um, our admission transfer center to oversee uh, throughput and um, the staffing schedules. We've also dedicated five FTEs of phlebotomists to the Highland Emergency Room to reduce blood culture contamination and optimize workflow. Currently, the nurses were doing it, that was not working. Um, we're establishing a new grad training program, um, investing in our course staff, and to actually decrease the use of registry. So we have two different nursing programs. One is a new grad program to improve staffing and nurse quality and reduce overtime in the units. And that is new grad program for about 12 to 16 weeks. And, um, and we're investing in that so we can recruit new grads. And then an internal tra training program to uh, leverage our current um, med surge nurses into the ICU. Any questions so far on our new programs? I'm gonna go move on to our financial statements. So this is our net patient revenue. We have um, increased our charge master by 3%, excluding the professional fees. We have an overall volume increase of 2%, and we've improved charge capture, um, which included a $2.3 million uh, improvements in FY23 budget. Our collection reflects, our collection percentage reflects the new um, revenue cycle improvements that we've had. Uh, there's a payer contracting increase of 3.9 built into the budget. And the revenue cycle improvements from our partnership with Best, uh, with Euron, 
the best initiative. Um, $25 million in, is included. We've realized $16 million that's gonna be continuing and an additional $9 million for FY23. Just to point out to everybody, when you increase your your um, your fees, we don't that the three percent CDM increase does not flow through to your bottom line, so that's why it's eighteen point seven going down to eighteen point two. So um, eighteen point seven, as as Grace has already explained, is high because of all the one time stuff. But um, you wouldn't expect 23 to be a higher percentage because we increased gross charges and we're not able to get, that doesn't turn into, you know, to additional net revenue. There's only, you know, probably maybe 7% of our payers that pay us on gross. So it's a very small amount that flows through to net, but we still need that. So we still have to increase our rates. So for our capitation in HPAC, we are status quo. It's a decrease of 198,000. Our Medi-Cal waiver, um, the biggest driver for that is the ARPA and the one-time adjustments um, for the formula change in the GPP that we had discussed earlier. We will be continuing our CalAIM implementation. Measure A is um, expected to be um, flat we don't know what the recession or inflation is gonna bring, so we kept it at flat. Um, the su supplemental programs decreased, driven by um, EPP and AB915. We have the appendix at the back um, to cover that. Um, our, the additional $3.5 million in CARES funding will not be coming back um, next fiscal year. Other operating expenses also increased um, with foundation contribution, the SUD grant, um, and of all the other grants that we have. Slight increase, and then it's offset by the pharmacy, uh, uh, the pharmacy decrease. This is our payer mix. As you can see, you know, 43% of commercial increase in commercial, I mean, 43% reimbursement for commercial, there's 7.1% of, um, of our payer mix. Is this based on last uh, fiscal or um, projection? Uh, this is the budget. Which got oh, got it, okay. Last fiscal year, um, yeah. And this is only the claims data. So in the next slide, you will see that our reimbursement 38% comes from supplemental, and then the rest come from our payers. And you can see commercial increases. I mean, the commercial is 10.6%, even though of our reimbursement, even though they're only 7.3% of our payer mix. So pretty good um, return for our commercial. It just so, points up the disparity. The previous slide really just points up the disparity and how much we get paid uh, from commercial insurance versus government, you know, yeah. Medicare and Medi-Cal, the yeah, difference. These are, two good, these are two really good slides. The difference is, is really multi, you know, factorial and, and why, and the value of the, the whole industry basically depends on commercial reimbursement as opposed to government reimbursement. 
which is one of the reasons why Medicare for all is a questionable proposition. And if you can see our supplemental revenue is mostly comprised of measure A, um, the waiver um, and the QIP. Last year, it was 41.1% in FY22. It's went down a little bit because our supplementals had gone down with all the one-time adjustments. This is the measure A trend. So as I mentioned earlier, we just projected FY23 to be flat from FY22. And now we have our expenses. Our labor expenses is the biggest driver um, we, for $33.4 million. And I will have the labor detail in the next slide. And our contracted positions increased by $2.1 million to just help align the market rates. Our purchase service increased by $8.2 million with the drivers for security services. We have had to increase our security coverage. Management consulting for the implementation of CalAIM. Um, we've also engaged additional um, reimbursement consulting to maximize our reimbursement. And um, we've had IT, software licensing and hosting fees and some consulting and neuron um, related activities in purchase services as well. Just so a comment there on the reimbursement services. I know Trustee Esteen and Trustee Blue have brought up, you know, because we haven't um, hired our director over government reimbursement. So what we've done is we've engaged Toyon to review our work um, and it seems to be working really well, but uh, the cost will not, is not in labor, it's in uh, purchase service. So uh, just FYI. And then you can see there's a decrease in materials and supplies. That's because we put in the initiative from BEST of 5.7 million but it's offset by the refresh in IT. We have a new refresh um, schedule that we're doing so that everybody get refreshed um, a laptop every five years. Um, we've increased surgery, so there's increase in surgical supplies and cleaning supplies, of course, because of COVID, you know, we have had to uh, um, get more cleaning supplies um, and then repairs and maintenance. The, the facilities increased by $4 million um, due to the IT infrastructure. That's the servers, the firewalls, the hosting, and plant maintenance that we previously capitalized, and we're just expensing that now. And uh, repairs and maintenance uh, for various projects just to keep up with our, um, our, our repairs and maintenance in, in all the buildings. The general and admin increased by $2.6 million, mostly because of the $700,000 that we put away for celebration. We've not had celebrations with our staff for staff recognition and all that in the past. We've not budgeted for it. Um, now we are budgeting for it. And we're also doing outside training. And mileage reimbursement has people start to travel between um, sites again. So our labor increased by 32.32 million dollars and 136 FTEs. We've increased the salaries to um, to be aligned with our MOUs, but offset some OT and premium pay uh, efficiencies. We've increased the FTEs due to the nurse training program, the GME expansion, 
the SUD bridge. Um, and there's some decreases in FTEs for the new telesitter program and some housekeeping efficiencies. Um, we've had to redo our whole housekeeping structure. And of course, COVID, um, we don't have the people that are, you know, that are doing the injections and the testing uh, anymore. So we've decreased the registry rates, as you know, and the FTEs. We've increased the benefits to coincide with our salaries and CPI. And we've also, and our retirement reflects um, the increases in FTEs. And as we said, as we mentioned earlier, we wanted to request a special approval to add in GASPI in July. So we'll have our um, actuary report sometime in June. Do you expect the, re the registry reductions to start hitting as of the beginning of the fiscal year? Or is that gonna be spread toward, toward the latter months? We actually expected it for July. Okay, good. So here's our FTE trends. Um, we have budgeted based on run rate and excluded the vacancies, as we had mentioned earlier, with the physicians, we did the same thing with the staff. Um, you know, we have a new FTE process that we had implemented in FY22, in which we use labor standards to ensure that um, we, we're staffing appropriately. So as the volume goes up, the FTEs will be um, approved. But we do have um, opportunities. As you can see, the volumes is uh, low in FY23 as compared to, 20, to 2019, pre-COVID. So we do have opportunities to be more efficient and add volumes without significantly adding FTEs. So I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Kim for the projected cash flow. Thank you, Grace. Thank you. Okay, so this is our cash flow projection. So right there in the middle, it says budget 23. Um, so uh, the financial statements that you just saw had a $44.6 million EBITDA, which was 3.7%. So that is our starting point here. And then I am adjusting for some timing differences on the balance sheet. Really for this organization, the material ones are always the supplemental funds. Um, and in this case, we also offset some of the delay in receiving supplemental funds with an, a decrease in AR days, which is in our performance improvement, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Um, so it's a net, uh, uh, a net uh, decrease in cash flow of 20.4 million. We uh, also need to pay for Epic. So that's a $4.4 million cost. And then we've got capital outlays that we're gonna talk about more in a couple of slides, we want you to also approve a capital cash flow number for us. That's 31.3. Um, and then we've got some other sources. We've got some Jabber funds. We've got 117 uh, coming in here. And then um, the foundation also contributing 2.4 million to our cash flow. And then we have all the county transactions grouped together just because it's easier to keep track of things. So we have, um, I'm gonna jump back to 22, the projected 22. In this cash flow, I'm assuming that we are gonna pay 90% of what is 
owed to the county from our cost reports going back many years. I have a slide on that actually in my finance presentation tonight. Um, so you'll see where that number comes from, but I'm assuming they're gonna, we're gonna be able to amend the process with the county and we'll pay over to them $26.6 million. And then Mark Bratsky is working with the county to determine what we want to use the money for. So um, I've got 5.7, which is the amount that is available to us today coming in in 23. And then I've just put 9 million as a placeholder in future years. Um, and the 8.1 assumes that each year we'll get, we'll file another cost report and then we'll need to turn over to the county about 90%, which I'm estimating at 8.1. I just carried that forward. And we'll talk about that in my regular finance presentation, but I assume that that amendment will pass. And then we've got our capital reserve fund. This was money that was supposed to uh, be used to fund um, the EPIC or Sapphire project. So we've paid over 21 million to the county and that 21 basically represents um, interest and debt service on the Highland building. So we've paid that over for three years. And I've assumed that in June of this year, the county will give that back to us to help fund the EPIC um, um, system. And then this same relationship will happen, you know, throughout the rest of my forecast here. So then what happens for budget 23 is we end up with a negative cash of 11.4 million. So right now, and you'll, I'll be able to to talk about this in my finance presentation. I'm quite excited about it. We currently are projecting we will have zero on our line of credit. Our NNB will be zero. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of Alameda Health System. So uh, we can talk about that some more, but then that will mean that at the end of next year, we will owe $11.4 million. We still have um, some recoupments that are looming from you know, a long time ago. We have the waivers and we have the spa. And you can see it's from FY11 to 15 and eight to 13, so a long time ago. The 16.3 is a number I have on the balance sheet today. The spa, I actually have 30 million. I have not adjusted our books because there's detailed calculations that my predecessors did. But um, we, what's happening is as the state is, is auditing these, we are actually doing better than we thought in producing backup data. So I, I don't know how it'll go, but I think it won't be as bad as we thought. And then the other thing I've done is I've eliminated the FQHC um, liability of 40 million. Again, that was a calculation done by my predecessor. I haven't changed it yet because I have nothing in writing from the state. But for this forecast, I figured I should make it more realistic. So. What I'm doing is assuming there's only gonna, there's only 26 million left of our recruitments. For those of you that might not have been here, this number was as high as 170 million three years ago. So this has come down hugely. Um, some of it is true ups on, and final settlement and also the additional cash flow we've generated to pay these off. And the, what does SPA stand for, Kim? It's, um, uh, what is it? State Plan Amendment. Yes, thank you. Yes. Plan amendment. 
It's uh, funding to um, improve the payment for mostly primary care physicians um, because there wasn't adequate access for Medi-Cal patients. So there was this supplemental funds to go to subsidize the physicians so that they would see more Medi-Cal patients. Okay. So then uh, um, moving so forward now. That's I a monumental zero there uh, for 2022 yeah. at the bottom. Yes, yes. Um, so then the four, 24, 25, 26, this is right out of the Huron strategic plan that the board just approved. Um, the, the strategic plan is not really very detailed from a financial perspective. So I do have an EBITDA there, um, but I don't have detail on you know, all of the capital or, or one of the other things that's not there is I don't have, we didn't do a projection of you know, what capital is needed at San Leandro, or what is needed at Alameda. I mean, we didn't go to that. It wasn't that kind of a financial plan. Um, so I have an EBITDA number. They don't, I don't have a balance sheet number. Uh, again, the big number is supplementals and that's not something that Huron looked at was our supplemental funding. So uh, I've just assumed no balance sheet changes. So I'm assuming that you know we will uh, just move forward from this year and have no impact, which we all know is not true, um, but I don't, I don't have a better uh, estimate for you today. Um, we do have the ongoing debt with, uh, with Epic, so we put that in here. And then we just held our capital outlay pretty current, but again, because the long-range plan didn't look at what our real, what our needs were going out in these years, all I have is the runoff of the priority, prox uh, priority projects for this year. So um, I don't think it impacts anything that we're doing tonight. Um, and then everything else just flows down. And the good news here on the top row is that we would not have a balance at all on our, um, our NNB with the county. We would act, they would actually have money coming back to us. And then if we pay off these recruitments after all of these years, we're pretty much at break even. Down here, if we pay, once we pay off these debts. Any questions on the cash flow? Let's say right. that again, Ms. Miranda. You're, you're, you're saying that we're clearing out our NNB, a position we've never been in the history of this. That is correct. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it's happening this year because of all of this one-time stuff. And, and you know, the one-time stuff, I mean, a lot of it is, is great work with the Huron Initiative um, you know, with revenue cycle that, you know, that we've already received, you know, gotten 16 million. And it's also all of the work with Epic and that, you know, charge capture. There's a lot of great things that have been happening. Um, but a lot of it is COVID related. And I have to say, we are not assuming that we will pay back anything so that there will be no recoupments of the CARES money. And that, you know, may make people feel uncomfortable all I can say is we've done the calculation, we submitted on time, and so far we haven't triggered a repayment. So that could change. Um, but at this point, uh, we're not assuming that we will have any recruitment from COVID despite all of the 
you know, large EBITDA that we've got here in 22. All right, performance improvement. This is very important because this is how we're going to make all of this happen. So um, the first one there is the overtime reduction initiative. Uh, we want to get to the 2.8%. Uh, so that's the metric. It's uh, overtime as a percent of productive hours. This is an industry standard. Um, so we've built in 2.6 million for that item in the budget. Uh, the next one here is the registry utilization and rates. We've talked about that already quite a bit. The amount is 11 million that's built in. How we're going to measure our success is by RNs recruited, our actual number of registry FTEs, and the rate. For uh, Telei Center Manager, we've got um, 0.6 built in here. Uh, this is really just um, tightening up our day-to-day -day processes to make, you know, make sure that we've got um, uh, sitters where they need to be. And again, we can measure that by the number of sitter FTEs that we are actually utilizing. Payer contracting, we've got 3.9 million in here. Um, this is really based on the yield projections from our, uh, the contracts that we're signing Right now, we'll be coming back to this group with an update on how we did. Uh, I'm not at all worried about this. I think we will actually do better than this. Um, our FQHC at 3.7, we talked about that already. Um, this is going to be based on what that final rate is. But I think this will also be better because if we can close this sooner, then that means more revenue um, in, in FY, potentially FY23. Workers' compensation, this is based on a lift initiative. We've got one to reduce our expense by 1.2 million. We feel pretty confident about that. Next slide. Here's the revenue cycle. Um, I'm gonna talk about metrics in the next slide, but really it's all about collection ratio. We wanna make sure that we're bringing in the dollars. We've got 9 million built in. Um, we have to pay the Huron fee, so then our net savings would be 6.8 million. The best care optimization, this is really about hospital throughput. A lot of work happening on this right now. Um, we can measure it by opportunity days, and an opportunity day is a day over the expected mean based on a DRG. Um, we can also measure it by our just our length of stay is simple. It should go down. We want to be consistent with industry standards because it's safer for our patients. We also can measure the fact that we can bill observation hours if we've got patients in the right status. And also, um, we'll have fewer medical necessity denials if we've got patients in the right status and we bill appropriately. So that's 16.5 million and we've built in 12.4. We've built it in as cost savings. Um, you could argue though, that if we improve our throughput, we could actually have more discharges and more patient revenue. So there's probably a few ways to look at it. Uh, the budget oversight committee decided just to build that in as a, as a labor cost savings. The best supply chains here, um, here we've got gross savings of 3.8. Uh, 
Um, so we've got 2.9 built in, and, and we're seeing a lot of this now. The, the Huron Partnership has identified quite a few things. Uh, and, uh, you know, I rather than go into the detail here, we will do a performance improvement update at the next finance committee anyway. So you'll get the final report for this last fiscal year, and then we'll start this one going forward. Pharmacy also, um, we've got 1.4 net built in. And then the strategic plan, there were two items. Um, they're both um, actually a net uh, increase. One is for the bridge clinic and the other one is to integrate uh, mild to moderate um, behavioral health in our clinics. So both great initiatives, but there is some cost to that. So the total is uh, 45.9 million. Uh, that ties out to our first slide. And this, uh, this, is, this is where our efforts need to be, is achieving these initiatives. Next slide. So I mentioned that I included the revenue cycle targets here. These are from the Huron partnership. So our AR days is 57. This last year we had 50, but industry standard, that's really, really low. And we don't want to encourage write-off of accounts. So we went with, a, with what Huron says is an industry standard, which would be about 57 days. Um, candidates for billing, that's the amount of stuff sitting in-house. We can do better there. We need to get stuff out sooner. And open denial days at two, we have quite a bit of work you know, here too to get those down. And then there's some initiatives down here that are really going to make a, a big difference. This urgent due diligence just means that when somebody's an inpatient or in the ED, that we get their insurance um, verified and we get the days approved. And elective secure means that before somebody comes in for an outpatient, we know their insurance, we know what we're, you know, that we're going to be able to be paid. Uh, reducing the denial rate is a key um, initiative that we've been working now for some time and having some good traction. Um, and then overall, this, I call it the collection ratio. In the Huron world, we call it a cash factor. And we really want to pick that up. Uh, and that's how we get our total of the, of the 25 million that, and, it, and maybe it'll be more, 30 million. So, uh, but we've used 25 million as our target for this presentation. And that's just the definitions. We can skip that one. It's there for your reading pleasure. This is also there for your reading pleasure. This is where we are on care management. Uh, it's just listing out all the initiatives. If someone has questions, that's fine, but otherwise I'll move on. I have, I have a question on this. And that is uh, in talking about our care management, there, I, I haven't seen any, anything about uh, the level of our care management, case management, um, discharge, discharge work, on the weekends versus the week. Uh, and a lot of times in hospitals, you'll see goals that'll say, well, we, we gotta be really be a seven day a week hospital to, to achieve our goals in care management. Are we not seeing anything about that in our goals because we're there already? Or what's, and maybe this is a question for, um, for Mark, but are, are we a seven day a week hospital in that respect? Not, not yet, Ellen, not as it relates to care management. We've got some work to do in specific areas um, and that is part of, uh, it may not be addressed in the best initiatives, but 
it'll be taken care of by way of the best initiatives or outside of that. Because we need we need the correct amount of staff in the correct amount of areas um, every day of the week. Mm -hmm. So we haven't, to your question, we have not arrived on that yet. Okay. Next slide. So this next slide is, uh, you know, the CFO, what keeps me up at night, right? So uh, it's again, achieving the 45.9 million of performance improvement. You know, it is a vast cultural shift and we have to have the ability to manage change. Um, you know, I will say, you know, our leadership team is gelling. I see positive things every single day. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's moving in the right direction, but this is just a heavy, heavy lift. Um, the second one here is that length of stay. It's not just care coordination, right? It's imaging leaders. It's everybody in our organization. It's all disciplines need to work together to get the patient out for a safe, at a safe discharge. And so it means all of us working as a team uh, centered around that safe discharge, not something that any hospital does easily, right? <laughs> And then um, the reductions in overtime and flexing, the only way we're gonna achieve that is by doing it every day. We have to have the discipline to do it. Uh, I know um, Ro and, and Mark Kratzky and others are every day you know, looking at, the, at, the, at labor and how we're doing. So it's, it's moving, it's moving in the right direction. But again, you know, we're, we're, we're going from a bad place, right? To an industry standard. <laughs> and then on the reduction in, in registry, that's 84 FTEs and, and the rate, we've talked about that. That is risky. A lot of that has to do with what happens with COVID. And down here, I'm strictly talking about COVID. Uh, the outbreaks can really negatively impact our throughput if we can't get folks to skilled nursing or other levels of care. We're not going to be able to move patients through the hospital. So do, do we have cushions to offset some of these, some of this financial risk? Or is it all gonna be by bridge plans? I think it's gonna be by bridge plans. There's, there's some things that, that, that could happen. Like uh, if COVID does continue, we're probably gonna get more CARES funding or some other funding to help us potentially, right? If we have another big outbreak and, uh, you know, the, the, the government may do another um, type of um, bailout or other kind of help for us. Uh, so, I mean, just to build, it, build in the negative doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, also, like with Measure A, we don't know what's going to happen with the recession, but it's likely that if things pick up, we'll get more tax money from the measure A. So we didn't put right. that in. So there are some, you know, there's different ways to look at it. Um, but the other positive here is we built in run rate for all of our cleaning expenses and all of our COVID expenses. Those are likely not gonna happen if the pandemic goes away. So that's another potential positive that might offset, right? Yeah. Um, so that answers your question there. This next, this next slide here is on AB 85. So 
this is a big one. I mean, our AB 85 funding we get from the amendment with the county is $46 million. I'm assuming we only get to keep 4.5 million. Uh, and that's based on how we've been our run rate, but it all depends upon this very complicated formula and uh, that is mostly driven off of losses from Medi-Cal and uninsured. And we don't really know what this is gonna be. So, um, you know, we, I think we're being, you know, realistic in our 4.5, but that's another big area that uh, could change the, the situation with our budget. And then this next item is the upcoming Medi-Cal enrollment changes. We did not build these into the budget and they're kind of offsetting, right? So the first one, the reinstatement of annual redeterminations, that is probably gonna kick some people out, which is gonna decrease enrollment. But the expansion to the undocumented increases enrollment, um, as does the uh, mandatory Medi-Cal managed care enrollment. So we'll have potentially a lot more Medi-Medis. Uh, but, but these items would then increase our ability to get some supplemental funding, right? Um, so we've just ignored all of this in the budget because we just really couldn't get our hands around what would make sense to, to actually build in the budget. There's a lot more detail about all of this here uh, in the bottom of this slide, but the, I wanted just to point out that we've just held things flat. Okay. So I'm gonna turn this over to Grace to talk about capital. So here is our capital uh, placeholders. We are uh, moving forward with the carry forward projects at um, the cash flow for $12.3 million, $12.4 million in FY23. We have new capital requests at $15 million and a contingency plan at $4 million for a total of $31 million cash flow for FY2024. With this, there's some details of what our, our care forward projects are. Um, and I'll just leave that with, with you. Um, you have this detail. And this is the proposed capital budget um, expansion, um, you know, expansions, um, we also have the biomed refresh in here. You can see the biomed refresh is $2.8 million. Um, and I think we have a question from yes. Splen. Question? Uh, well, Grace, if you wanna finish, uh, whenever you get to the end of the capital budget or capital CapEx, then I wanna have some, some discussion. Whenever you get to the end, okay? Okay, and, and basically that was the end. It's just detail of um, the items that we have. Well, thank you then. Uh, if I could ask Kim, because um, Kim and I had a discussion over email this today about um, you know, my concern that we aren't investing enough in our capital. Um, and, great, and it was very nice of Kim to share me some industry standard uh, article, an art, industry standard article that uh, measures uh, capex that are, in terms of age of our, improvements were pretty good. And I think that's primarily because of Highland because it's so new, but we do have some aging buildings and, you know, we know that we have to invest or at least us or the county does, but um, there's another measurement tool, which is the amount of CapEx uh, over 
depreciation amortization. And, you know, based upon industry standard, we're in the, what I think, I believe, Kim, 20th percentile. So, and I, and I understand that, that this is a, um, a multifaceted exercise. You know, we, if we had the money, we could spend the money on something other than um, operations, right? But, um, you know, if, if, if we're going to move and, and, and with our strategic plan and invest in our, in our systems, you know, we, you know, at some point, you know, we just can't, in essence, replace what breaks or repair what breaks. We have to do more. We have to invest in systems. And I know even in the past, I've talked about, I, you know, uh, more technology. So um, at the end is what I'm saying is I'd like the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 both the partner operations and accounting to go back and you know, see if you can, you know, whether it's not in this budget, but at least based upon the strategic plan, build on build some sort of investment strategy to move us just beyond repair and replace. So it's more of a statement, a question, but that, that's, you know, I, I've mentioned this before in bird means and I'll probably mention it again, but I, I think it's incredibly important for our system to understand we just can't. And, and I know I'll note that Kim has mentioned, you know, we've had a lot of trauma and that's not a joke, but we have a lot of trauma financially, but uh, you know, we, we, you have to invest. You have to invest. Um, Kim, if you don't, <clears throat> Kim, if you don't mind, maybe I just have a couple comments um, and thank you, Splend. I, I actually completely agree. Um, I think our budget this year still depicts repair, replacement, um, especially equipment. Um, there are a couple strategic dollar uh, uh, um, initiatives in here, like around the moving of the dental clinic, some IT infrastructure, et cetera. But it doesn't finance what the first year necessarily of our new strategic plan would warrant. And therein lies um, where I'd like to go in the future is we have to mirror this capital up with our planning. Regarding the county, we have $5.7 million sitting at the county that I'm working with right now, the county. We're coming to really, there's really good communication. Um, we've got you know, we're, we're trying to move on $5.7 million of infrastructure and that depreciation expense that goes to the county can only be used for infrastructure. So we're looking at seismic stuff, we're looking at new roofs, we're looking at HVAC, um, all the stuff to help repair the county's buildings. Um, so I think we'll have clarity on that 5.7 million spend within the next 30 days. And it's a matter of understanding how we move forward with approval and how we access those dollars. So I think we're moving to where you want to be, Splend, but this year's kind of, I would call it a bridge year. Well, I have a comment on that also on the situation. And that is, I think this is the second fiscal year in a row that we are going to wind up far short of the capital dollars that were budgeted to spend. And I, I look at the this list of projects for next year and the number of projects and the fact that we haven't spent the money that we were expecting to spend in the last two years. And I, it makes me question whether we have the, the wherewithal to execute the number of projects that are on 
on the capital budget list every year. Um, and I'm not saying that to, to um, suggest that we're budgeting too much. I'm suggesting that maybe we need some enhancement to our facility staff to be able to initiate and manage the projects that we feel we need to be taking on in a timely way. Yeah. yeah. Two thoughts on that, Trustee Fox. We are adding two FTEs for facilities project management. Okay. Um, also, we're restructuring the facilities department um, um, to be able to handle more of the construction and, and initiatives. But most of the dollars that are carry forward are not related to facilities projects as much as they are related to equipment. And I think we're, we still have a culture that is still trying to understand the new processes for asking for and then going out and getting the equipment. I also think we've had long had a culture of what I would call some scarcity and people um, not requesting things and not moving on things, kind of a, I would call it a capital complacency because it was such a, it was such a centralized controlled process that our leadership team, I don't think ever felt um, that they had the ability to access capital or how to access capital. Those times are changing and they're all becoming acquainted with all the new processes. So um, I'm optimistic that that carryover will get less and less every year, Alan, but we still are struggling internally with it. Okay. I just want to make sure the minutes are clear too. On the county, it's not just maintenance, it's also investment in county buildings. So we can invest mm -hmm. in the buildings yep. as well. And that's really important uh, because I know that there may be uh, uh, things that we want to support that will create you know, more revenue. And uh, also, if it is a capital expense, we then can include it on a future cost report and then um, get additional funding back so it goes in per perpetuity. Okay. Any other discussion on the capital budget? I had just one more one more question that uh, I got from came up as I looked at the appendix, and that is, I see that there is an increase in volume in acute rehab, and I'm not sure if that means Fairmont or San Leandro and and do Fairmont and San Leandro compete with each other for acute rehab? No, Alan. Um, San Leandro has an acute rehab unit. It's different than the Fairmont skilled nursing units. Both do rehab in the programs, but the intensity of rehab um, is much higher in an acute rehab center. And the way they get paid is different. Now, I don't know if the volume you're discussing is inpatient volume or outpatient volume, because we also have outpatient rehab clinics with volume being funneled through there. So um, the slide here on the screen, Mark, acute rehab inpatient day. Yeah, 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 we, we, we have an opportunity to bring that census up. And the, the, this I is James, and I would just offer what I was trying to say is that the, the inpatient rehab facility left Fairmont a few years ago and moved part and parcel over to San Leandro. So there's no inpatient days at Fairmont anymore. So all of this inpatient volume is in fact at San Leandro Hospital. 
there's outpatient rehab that still takes place at, at Fairmont, but that's it. Okay, thank you. Sure. Okay, I think we're getting to the end of our uh, discussion and presentation of the budget. Uh, I just wanted to comment that this was a very thorough presentation and things were laid out in a very good design and excellent manner for all of us who are trying to digest this large amount of information uh, to be able to understand what's being presented to us. Um, it's obvious that the that this budget preparation project is a is a monstrously large project with uh, uh, an extremely high amount of detail that had to be uh, generated, reviewed, uh, chewed over, debated, changed. And uh, on behalf of the committee, I just want to thank the staff for for doing an excellent job on all that. And with that, I'll, I'll, uh, is there any further discussion before we have a motion? Trustee Park, if I may, um, I, I wanted to go back to a point that you made earlier where you mentioned that you felt as though the, the transition from the temp staff budget to permanent staff was aggressive. And you know, I think, I think you're right, but I think that um, Kim and the team led by Grace on this budget process really looked at the feasibility of doing what we've suggested. And I think it is, you know, it's not what it's not out of the bounds of reason, but I also think it's responsive to staff because we hear from staff very frequently their concerns about um, us paying money to um, temporary staff and to folks who are not committed to the Alameda Health System. And so um, I applaud the, the team's um, focus on in paying people who are employed by the Alameda Health System and really trying to make sure that we have the, the enhanced quality that comes with pe having people who are you know, really committed to being here in the long haul. I just add that Budget Oversight Committee uh, was uh, you know, instrumental in every one of these assumptions. It was there, everything was vetted through that team. Uh, so they they were a big help to uh, to Grace I know so <laughs> so nice a big shout out to the budget oversight committee for all their help on this. So thank you Grace for your leadership on this and for getting us to the point where we are now, which is to consider a motion on the on the 2023 operating and capital budgets. Alan, I can make that motion to to move the recommendation. Uh, approval of the, of the budget to the full board with all the comments that have been made, especially mine regarding capital and capex. Can we have a second? I'll second. Thank you, Trustee Blue. Uh, we have a can we have a roll call, Madam? Madam Trustee, Corbett. sorry, Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Okay. Thank you. We're one step closer to the end of that long effort on the budget. Uh, I want to go to the final action item, which is the McKesson contract. Uh, and I'm not sure who is presenting that. Is, is that you, Mark? Um, I'll just mention a couple of things. And um, if there are any detailed questions about it, I know that our pharmacy director um, is here with us tonight to answer um, Diana Tamron if anybody has any questions. But, you know, it's a large budget. It's a four-year, 100 and 
what, $36 million budget. Um, Might be the biggest contract we have. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, you know, we're saving money over the four years versus um, where the contract has been in the past three years. Um, We are very pleased with McKesson. They've worked well with us. Um, And the contract has been thoroughly vetted by Ira Holly, um, Ahmad, um, the legal department, working with Diana, et cetera. So um, it's in there. It gives you some detail around it. Um, but I'll just leave it at that. If anybody has any technical questions, Diana is here with us. I just was wanted to know who were the other large competitors of McKesson that we looked at? Diana? Hi, so this is Diana. I'm the director of pharmacy for the system. We had looked at um, the two main competitors of McKesson, which is Amerisource Bergen and Cardinal. Okay. And um, to give you a little bit of context, we had been Cardinal um, clients for 20 plus years. And in 2018, we decided to move away from them because the terms that they had uh, were unfavorable for us. The COG minus um, was not competitive. And um, they were in breach of contract by erroneously charging us late fees. And when we have when we have um, those late fees, it adjusts our, our COG minus into a different tier. Mm-hmm. And so we found on a quarterly basis that we were paying um, higher pharmaceutical costs and they were shifting every quarter based on these late, these so-called late payments. Now, it, Back prior to 2018, we had some difficulty paying on time. And so um, what we did was put a $3 million deposit with Cardinal, and uh, they misapplied those funds. So we were not happy customers. Um, We went to RFP. Amerisource Bergen came with the least favorable terms. Cardinal felt awful about um, their breach and came back with something a little bit better, but McKesson was, was on the top. And so for the last uh, three or four years, we've been very pleased with McKesson um, and would like to continue with them. Okay, thank you, Ms. Cameron, for that explanation. Any further questions or comments on the McKesson contract? Uh, can I, hey, Alan, can I ask a question, just probably for Ahmad? Mm-hmm. Were we supposed to have public comment on either the last side of the budget or this item? You don't have, uh, I don't believe we have public comment. It's fine. Okay, thank you. Then I'll make, I'll make a motion to approve this contract. Do we have a second? Uh, I second it. Okay, can we have a roll call please? Trustee Blue. Yes. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, And we need to go back to the one uh, informational item on the agenda, which is discussion of the April operating results. Yeah, Trustee Fox, I wanna wanna ask for you to amend the recommendation for approval to include the actuarial report. So we get that uh, correctly stated in the minutes. Right, and we had talked about that with uh, uh, the clerk at the beginning of the meeting that the clerk will add that wording into the motion on the budget. So hopefully Rana's got that. 
And then I also just wanted to publicly thank Grace for all of her hard work. Grace and her team did a phenomenal job. We're here on June 1st and we're recommending approval to a budget. So I, I just, uh, this is, I, I'm just so pleased with uh, all of uh, Grace and the budget oversight and how the whole thing went. So, <laughs> so Kim, let me correct the record. I noted that you had made that comment and Rana was supposed to amend it. So my motion, because I made it, and Louisa can second was to include what you requested at the beginning of uh, the comments on the budget. Okay. Okay. Rana, uh, is all of that clear? I, I believe so. I can follow up with Kim to make sure that I've got the right language okay. in the motion. That's great. Okay, Kim, sorry to have uh, shortened the discussion on April, but uh, I think we'll all be pleased to in the meeting on time, if you could condense your comments. All right, I'd like to share my screen and I've got host disabled participant screen sharing. Okay, I think I got it now. Everybody see that? Yes. Yes. Right, thank you. So I'm gonna go quick. Um, here's the volume slide. Um, Basically, we our discharges were down, our length of stay was up, so the it wasn't a great volume month. However, trauma cases were up 14%. We've been, you know, just below budget, you know, until this month. So lots of trauma cases and a higher CMI. So, you know, the intensity of services was higher, which does definitely help our charges. I'm gonna go ahead and just skip on to our financials, our net income was 36.3 million. So we're sitting at 115, almost 116 million net revenue for the year. Just as a reminder on the budget, we had 110. So this month blew it out and we couldn't possibly update all of the forecast slides for the budget, but I don't think that the, the difference is that material, but uh, we just, this was just an overall great month. And um, looking at the net patient service revenue here, our gross charges, even though we had um, lower volumes, were high in outpatient because we can have outpatient trauma cases, yes. Um, the clinics were busy, but the real driver is net patient revenue. We were at 21.5% versus uh, year to date at 19.2. We use a 90 day rolling net revenue and that net revenue has been going up uh, and we updated our zero bound account analysis and we are seeing higher collection ratios. So this all fits together uh, through the Huron partnership of improving revenue cycle. Uh, and our supplementals, big change here for the Medi-Cal waiver. It's an increase of 22.3 million in the month. That's coming off of two of the things on um, Grace's list for one-time adjustments. One is the GPP for FY21. Uh, because of the pandemic, they allowed us to uh, change the calculations so that, the, that we all achieved the threshold and got maximum funding. And also Senate Bill 129, which gave public hospitals additional funding of 6.9 million. So we recognize those two amounts in the current month. Um, other than that, I think everything's pretty much consistent with where we've been. 
Here's the operating expenses, really just labor, which I'll talk about in a minute, and purchase services were the adjustments. And for purchase services, what drove it this month is, um, is the COVID lab testing. So we're still having to have to test employees and staff, particularly the skilled nursing, and also the Morrison's um, contracted food service. They earned their incentive of 0.4 million this month. Everything else is consistent with year to date. Uh, it's just those two items made the variance even higher this month. Um, looking at year to date, the only other really big one is materials and supplies. And that again is um, you know the best initiative of 7.8 million, security uh, 1.5 and clinical services of 1.4 is driving that. In regard to labor costs, um, we're over 3.2 in the month, but we're under in paid FTEs. So it's a rate variance. You saw the slides in the budget, how much those uh, the costs are for registry. That is driving that expense. Um, in regard to salaries, we paid the withhold out to the Oak Care physicians. We were withholding 10%, plan to build an incentive plan. We didn't get the incentive plan built. So we just um, paid out that withhold, that was 1.4. Um, it's offset a little bit by benefits because we have fewer FTEs. And year to date, it's really the same story. Uh, there's not really anything new there. Uh, here's the slide that gives our adjusted patient days versus budget to actual FTE. Um, what you're seeing here is the return of that vacancy factor. Um, our volumes are going up a little bit, which does drive FTEs. But what's really causing this is the fact that people aren't taking PTO. So, you know, if, when people aren't taking PTO, we're not um, paying off the balance sheet. So uh, we're just accruing the expense each month. Here's the balance sheet stats. Um, patient days came down, good news. Uh, net patient revenue went up. And again, that relates to the fact that the ZBA is better, we're collecting more, so the net revenue per day is more. Um, best news of all is down here at the bottom on the NNB, we paid off. So I think first time since this relationship started, we are at a positive NNB, which means we have more money in the treasury instead of us owing money to the treasury. Here's the AR graph slide. You can see the trends are all good here. Nothing bad to report. Um, here's the cash collections. Um, we're 13.8% or 70 million ahead of where we were last year. Uh, it's driving a lot of cash flow. And this slide is only here because we're trying to get the amendment done with the county. So I included all the county transactions. I usually don't do this in, in our presentation. Um, you, Mark talked about the fact that he's working with the county to get the 5.7 million here of the capital costs. That's the 35,670 minus the 30 million here. Uh, that's the amount that we that is available to us sitting in the county. Uh, if we do the amendment, um, then that's going to change. We're going to pay over the 26.6 million I shared with you in the cash flow. And then uh, we will be able to access 
the 5.7 plus the the 26.6 million. So uh, Mark will have a uh, have a lot of funding to to figure out. <laughs> uh, so we may have to come back to either this group or the board to get approval on the amendment. The draft was sent to the county. I meet with the county tomorrow. I'll see if I can get an update from them on where they are on finalizing the amendment. I know we want to do it before the end of the fiscal year so we can make, have these funds transfer. Okay, so we will not, is it correct then that we won't have a presentation on the amendment at tonight's meeting? No, I we, We've said we've given them a draft and we're waiting for a response. I don't know if Ahmad wants to chime in there. No, I think that's right, Kim. It, it, uh, it may just very well be that we'll have a special meeting of uh, your full, full board to have it approved uh, prior to June 30th. And then here's our projection, which we have updated. Okay, so this is different from what you saw, you know, in the previous month. It's different because I have assumed that, you know, we will um, implement our budget, which then reduced our line of credit. So the blue line is lower. It's lower by about $95 million over last month. That's because of the performance improvement in the budget and our evidence in the budget. Uh, it does include the capital. Um, uh, and the one difference between what you saw in the budget and this is I still have the red line, including the total value of those recruitments, whereas in the cash flow, I adjusted them down to what I think they actually will be. And I think I'll be able to make that adjustment on our books here by year end. I just don't have anything, you know, a new calculation to hang my hat on. And then here's the chart that just you know calls out material items. Um, so uh, we're going to finalize the uh, waiver in June. So the the balance owed will be the the sixteen point uh, three that we showed you on the slides before. The uh, I hope to have the met the FQ go away and the SPA go down to thirty. So. Um, great headway on those old looming recruitments. And then down at the bottom here, I'm assuming the county is going to pay us the designation funds, the 21 million, that's towards the Sapphire or Epic project. So we've paid in the R21 and we're expecting to get that back. And then we'll pay the 26 of the uh, cost report funding, which will then make it available um, for us to spend and we'll add to that 9 million in August for another year. So um, unless there's questions, that's the report. Okay, any questions on Kim's report on the April financials? All right, uh, I think we've come to the end of the agenda, folks. Uh, anything else uh, anybody on the committee wishes to offer before we adjourn the meeting? Okay, well, again, thank you for all the work on the budget. Uh, I think it was a good cause and good conclusion and we'll stand adjourned. You owe me 15 minutes. Thank you.